Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am your host, Emily. I'm a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. And I find absolute delight in the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives full of meaning and expression. Sacred Adventure Begin features stories from business owners to artists, lawyers to singers, yogis to professors, and many (laughs) in-betweens to inspire you in connecting the threads, themes, and experiences of your own life. I know that it can sometimes feel unknowable, insurmountable, and perhaps some of us feel a bit vulnerable in our quests for the deeper truths and meanings in our lives. Power and awareness lie on the other side of these pursuits, and it is my hope that these stories and conversations become engaging tools to bridge those gaps that we all have between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome back. It is now the third week of February, and I am so excited to be here um, announcing sort of the first, like, I want to call it like a mini season, (laughs) or the first mini theme that I'm going to be working with and scheduling interviews so that they sort of like build thematically on each other and like dovetail really nicely together. And I believe I started talking to you all about this and where I'm at with that um, when I told you about the new intro and the new outro and, you know, sense of community and all that kind of stuff. But I've really been working on and thinking a lot about how um, relationships both business relationships and personal relationships and like even just a relationship with the self, uh, self and society relationship, self and group, self and like, you know, body and soul, body and mind, all of those things can be in relationship for us. And as part of my processing and thinking about this, I'm going to be sharing some of the interviews that I'm doing that start to sort of tease out and look into what happens when we begin um, a relationship, especially when it's something outside of us combining with something inside of us. Um, In in my, in sort of like an update, (laughs) um, I am working a little more, um, how do you say, like regularly with certain people. I think that you've noticed that Fanny Le Boulongier is one of those people. But I've also been looking at and thinking of where I can do like offerings or projects and things like that with other people. And one of the big things that has come up for me, again, is this sort of like dealing with all of the complex relationships. So like whose website (laughs) and and who does this post and who does that post and how do we want to word this and just like getting on the same page for all of that. And it's really brought up a lot of things for me in terms of examining identity Uh, specifically my identity and how that goes um, into my business 
as an extension of me. And actually, I think a lot of having a creative business and having a soul-centered business as as also being sort of an extension of me or as essentially being like a part of my art. There's like a little bit of my soul in it <laughs> or a little bit of, um, you know, something that was on the inside that it becomes on the outside when you start making it an offering, even if it's like, you know, Reiki practice or a yoga course or... Um, a painting or something, you're taking the seed of something, an idea, and you're moving it to the outside for somebody else to experience. We could even talk about this in terms of like writing as a way of doing that. And all of us have a way of doing that. Some people do that with cooking. Some people do that with their clothes. So it it's really interesting, I think, um, when we talk about identity so much goes into our identity or the way that we shape our idea of ourselves and it's really interesting again that play of outside inside inside outside so how we reflect who we are on the outside or how we present to the world versus how the world shapes what we think of ourselves <laughs> and how we present and it is almost like a um, really interesting and beautiful interconnected web and I have a guest today that is part of, like I said, this series. So I am um, interviewing Lolly and Samara, who um, both do work uh, that I would consider healing work in and around um, identity and what we put into the world. But they do it in very different ways. And then they are also co-hosts of a super cool podcast that I'm going to tell you about here in a minute. Um, but it, I what I'm doing here and what I'm hoping that you'll enjoy is that you're going to hear each of their voices separate and then you're going to hear how they work uh, together in partnership, uh, both in a romantic relationship as well as in a business relationship and all of the complexities that that entails. And I'm really, really excited <laughs> um, to share this with you. And I'm going to be pivoting that to doing another um, series, another couple um, as as an interview duo, uh, not quite to this extent where I'm doing separate interviews uh, because they distinctly wanted to be interviewed together. But I'm, I'm interviewing two sisters who do psychic medium work um, together and have, I think, for the majority of their lives. So you're going to have that as an interesting point, too. Uh, so there's the partnerships that we choose, and then there's the partnerships that we're born into. Uh, just like <laughs> there's the identity that we shape ourselves, and there's the identity that is shaped um, from without to within us. And I'm so excited to share Lolly's voice with you because Lolly does an amazing job of talking about um, identity and how he has um, how he has cultivated consciously his own identity and the relationships there with. Um, with looking at, really looking at what um, is outside versus inside and how to separate yourself from that so that you can uh, more fully understand and express who you are, which is a um, thing that I think um, a lot of people <laughs> can really relate to is that idea of what am I taking? Um, we talk about this a lot in the coaching world as well. And it again, is something that I'm thinking about a lot too, as I'm going into partnership, like in addition to um, who am I and what do I want to be and what do I want to show the world? There's also um, an element of then how do I combine that with something else to make something new? Um, but also 
again, in the coaching world, we have things like um, how have you internalized uh, money issues or how have you internalized unhealthy views of what um, it is acceptable for you to do or not to do in terms of visibility. And uh, really examining those and then saying, okay, what actually is serving me and what is not serving me and then moving forward from there. And I think that Lolly's um, voice again and uh, story in this interview will really inspire you to think about and look at those elements in your life. So here we go. Hello, Lolly, and welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Listeners, for those of you who do not know who Sit Lali is, um, he is a gender-based queer witch who is passionate about using spiritual tools to dismantle the gender binary, which I think is amazing and super important work. His background is in trauma-informed LGBTQ mental health services and in meditation and breath work. Lolly helps people reclaim their gender identities free from colonial and capitalist frameworks through introspective workshops and one-on-one emotional support, which is a lot. <laughs> you do so much. So I kind of, I kind of took the first question that I normally had and, and read your bio for folks, but um, can you maybe add on and talk a little bit more about like what that looks like in your day-to-day life? Yeah, well... I'll say I started this um, business, Mix Mendoza, in July, um, and it was really just like a product of me doing my own internal work around figuring out my identity, uh, my gender identity to be specific, because that that journey of, I guess, processing what gender means to me and feeling comfortable in my skin and starting to take hormones and things um, really pushed me into my, I guess, spiritual journey. Um, And so I wanted to share some of those tools that really helped me feel more comfortable in my skin and be able to articulate my identity and feel confident in who I am um, in the fluidity of it, because sometimes I feel like I have to have a specific label for who I am. So feeling more comfortable in that fluidity and sharing that with others so that, you know, other people can feel safe and confident in who they are, um, because I know how, you know, a lot of us are taught kind of how we're supposed to be in terms of gender and that was really harmful in my experience. So I wanted to create workshops, um, you know, with that, with COVID-19 and everything kind of being online now, it's been a lot of um, Zoom workshops, um, educating people from like graduate programs around mental health and counseling, as well as like a sexual um, violence crisis center. Um, I've had just the opportunity to work with a lot of different organizations that Um, do a lot of work around um, wellness and LGBTQ services and and gender. So so I'm really lucky and blessed to to have these opportunities. That sounds, I... um... I'm running out of words right now because I I didn't realize that you were also doing, so you're doing like kind of like immediate, like one-on-one and group work, but then you're also doing work with institutions too. Yeah, well, uh, I guess it's kind of like in flux right now. I'm not really sure if if that's something that I'm going to continue doing, but it is kind of how I started. Um, And it's been very helpful to have those conversations with other organizations that have been doing this work, but to kind of add on more of like the spiritual perspective, to add on breath work and meditation um, and the 
introspective piece with like, you know, journaling prompts and questions to have people really process what gender means to them and how it has impacted their lives as opposed to just giving like a brief, like, this is what pronouns are. This is what, Mm -hmm. you know, all these terms in the LGBTQ, you know, umbrella mean. I think that's really important because it helps break down some of the resistance. And I know that, um, I've heard people, not necessarily people in my generation, but people in the generation above me complaining about like having to put their pronouns in Zoom meetings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that annoys the crap out of me because it's so easy, like just fucking do it. But I think coming about it from the perspective that you just shared, which is like sharing the process with people helps people understand why something like that would be important which I think would help them be more open and receptive to to paying attention and validating other people's existences. But (laughs) (laughs) And, and I don't blame people who like have trouble with realizing why it's important if it has never like been mentioned in their whole lives and like everything has just run like that for them. Um, but I think in my experience, when I have like shared my story and why it does matter to me for people to be asking pronouns all the time and sharing their own pronouns, people have tended to be a lot more receptive and have started using their pronouns more. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it's really important work. And actually, I I think it's really interesting, too, that you mentioned that um, identity was your pathway into like spiritual work. Mm-hmm. Can Can you share maybe a little bit about like how how you got to be the amazing human that you are right now <laughs> oh man um I'm not sure where to start there's there's so much <laughs> um I guess I'll start with um when I came out as queer so I was born in Tijuana Mexico um I came to the U.S. when I was three I kind of adopted this narrative of the American dream and like you know, my parents are making all these sacrifices for me to be in this country. And so I need to like pay them. I need to prove that all this work was worth something. And so I worked my butt off to get into like the best college that I possibly could. Um, Ended up going to Harvard. And that's where like, you know, it was the first time like leaving home. I was, I was raised in San Diego. Um, And so going to Boston was a huge, huge shift for me. And, and having to understand what it meant to be an immigrant, what it meant to be Mexican, what it meant to be queer. Um, all and it was really tough having to do all of that in such an unfamiliar <laughs> environment. Um, but I found that it really pushed me in such a beautiful way to confront a lot of the things that I was so scared of, you know, thinking about when I was with my family. Um, like I was scared of thinking of myself as queer and, being in that context really helped me because I think that college was really open to LGBTQ identity. Um, Maybe not so much in terms of like immigrant identity or being, um, you know, other marginalized identities, but in terms of queerness, I felt really safe there. And so that was my first kind of exposure to, um, um, what do I want to say? Like queer theory, queer context. starting to think about gender and sexuality and sexual orientation more openly, um, kind of cracking open the box that I was given about what gender and sex and, you know, all of these binaries are. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I started doing activism in college um, around mental health because I was going through, you know, depression, anxiety, imposter syndrome. Um, and then towards the end of college, I actually, I ended up taking a year off because of, you know, all these mental health struggles. And during that year off, I, um, I turned to ayahuasca and the ayahuasca really, really like changed me, transformed me in such a beautiful way. Um, it, it kind of showed me in my face, like what my depression was and what I was falling into. Um, and it just grounded me, like it connected me to like, it showed me like the pain that I was going through is the pain of the earth and like um, not, not having space or capacity to accept myself and love myself and, and that I was giving so much and trying to help all these other people with the issues that I was struggling with because I couldn't like have that compassion for myself. Um, and the ayahuasca just like made that so abundantly clear. Um, and I ended up doing two ceremonies. And the first one was like just seeing all of that depression and what it was and the darkness and just crying and crying and crying, but in such a beautiful way. And then the second time was maybe a couple months later. And it was like this super blissful, like paradise experience where um, I was meditating and just understanding um, like this divine balance of like giving and receiving and what it could feel like. And when I have so much self-love, it's like so abundant that it's like coming out of my body and I have to share it. And like after that experience, I went back to college and it was completely different. I was like super happy to be there, super grateful for any positive experience. I met so many amazing people. That's actually when I met my partner, Samara. Um, and yeah, after that, I started um, really questioning my gender. I started trying they, they, them, she and they pronouns at that point. Um, I started, I cut my hair. I started trying, um, I wanted to wear a suit for graduation and that was a big deal for me. Um, so that, that I would say like, that's really when it started. Um, like this whole process of questioning identity and having to, I don't know, have this like cultural shock or like mm. um, this push to to understand oppression in a different way, in a more personal, embodied way. Um, and that's what pushed me to, I guess, have to dig deeper into who I am and what I am and how I can be of service to the world and how to love myself. I think that those, first off, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that those are like the questions that ultimately like every person who is digging into awareness and spirituality and like really actually basic human needs to know who we are, to know that uh, we can be accepted and loved. And to know that there's a reason for our life, like that we um, do good in the world and that we have a purpose. And it's so, um, I think it's so potent to hear your story and to think about um, identity and the, the bit of identity and what happens when that, like when we feel that that is at odds maybe with like how we grew up or uh, like what we have learned about ourselves from culture. And when you, when you notice that you're different, right? There's almost like a, a, like a call to, to really separate like, okay, so what is mine and what is cultural here? Mm-hmm. And I, I validate that that does also cause a lot of like depression and questioning and things like that. So I'm kind of curious, like 
how, like, what are the methods that you're using? So you mentioned ayahuasca, which we haven't talked about uh, at all on the podcast. So maybe first, can you tell people uh, what that is? (laughs) And then can you talk about like how you are guiding people like through this process, like now as well? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'm like the the person to talk about what ayahuasca is, but <laughs> in my experience, it's it's a medicine. Um, it's like a brew made of two plants. I'm not sure of the name of the plants, um, but it has um, DMT. And so you you take this, it's as part of like a spiritual a ceremony. ceremony. Um, you have like a shaman present. And the way that I've done it, it's, it's not just me. It's like a group of five to 10 to 15 people. Um, we do this little ritual where we ask, you know, the ayahuasca to to bless us on our journey. We have a very specific purpose for for taking it, for drinking it, either a question or, you know, some some intention for it. Um, We take it and the journey has been from like six hours. I think the first time was six hours. The second time I was a lot more lucid, but I think the effects lasted maybe three or four hours. and I just had like all of these visual, um, oh, like like I there was um, I remember there was like shamanic drumming in the background. They had music, and I could see the music, and I oh, could like cool. feel the trees like aura, and I could like um, just understand things that would have never made sense that I still have trouble putting into words, but. Um, like understanding this connection to my my grandma who passed away when I was four. Um, like I just remember like seeing her in this and seeing my my tia, my my aunt who had just passed away too. And just like, I don't know, a lot of like spiritual things make sense. Uh, they call DMT like the spiritual molecule. Like it really connects you like out of your body to, to feel more into, um, I don't know, like other dimensions. And I really think that's what it did for me. It's beautiful. So, (laughs) so how are you, I'm assuming you are not running ayahuasca ceremonies for people. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) No, (laughs) but how how are you helping um, people kind of do that? Like, how have you distilled this medicine, I guess, down into practices um, that you're guiding people through now? Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of it is trying to share as much as I can in terms of like putting it into language, the way that I understand, um, I guess, breaking binaries. And and I start from like the lens of gender, but really it's like so much more than that because I think that, um, how do I want to say this? Like, like there's also a binary of like body and mind or like mm-hmm. rationality and intuition. Um, and I think in the way that I've understood kind of how ayahuasca has helped me, it's been a lot of like the world has taught you that it's either this or that, that, you know, to come on earth, um, there's kind of this duality that is really present um, in, in you just being here physically. Um, and your job is to kind of see past that binary or how can you find the connections and things that seem like opposites, but actually are so interrelated Um, and kind of sharing that. And I also have like, um, when I was, you know, really struggling with depression and mental health, I I learned a lot about dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which is also kind of this sort of theoretical framework of 
we have a lot of things that seem like contradictions. Um, and I can think of one example, for example, with gratitude, like I felt like I really had to be grateful for all of these sacrifices that um, my parents made and for the fact that this country did provide so much opportunity. And at the same time, I was really critical of, you know, all of these, you know, systemic racism and, mm. you know, poor immigration laws. And then when Trump came into office, I was like, how mm. can I be grateful for this country when it's so fucking shitty? Mm -hmm. um, it seemed like <laughs> I couldn't be both. Right. Yes. But with dialectical behavioral therapy, I really started seeing like it's it's this yes and yes, I'm grateful and I'm fucking critical. Like, yeah. yes, I am masculine in these ways and I'm feminine in these ways. And a lot of um, growing up, I felt like I couldn't be both. Um, but I'm like, I guess in my work, I'm really trying to show people how these things can coexist, um, even though it seems like they can't. And, and that's in terms of emotions, in terms of um, different aspects of our identities. Um, and really like finding ways to embody those practices to not have it just be like a mental thing. Like your emotions are not just in your head, your your mental health, your depression is not just your mind having these thoughts. It's also like your body and the trauma that your body has carried throughout generations. Um, and how can we like connect those things for you to see maybe like, you know, you're having trouble eating or something. And that's actually related to this, you know, solar plexus thing that has, that is something completely unrelated that you may have never thought to connect, but if you start feeling into these things or, or going more into your body, um, it becomes easier to see these connections. I think my work is really around helping people be in their bodies, not just in their minds and not separating, like, I'm not saying that, you know, logic and rational thought are bad. I think they can be really helpful, um, but it's kind of like, it's not just that. That is not the only way to heal. Um, it's, it's kind of like combining everything. And especially for, for trans people or queer people who may not, have felt as comfortable or safe being in their bodies because you know of all the trauma that may have come with being misgendered. Um, I really want to like help people, you know, under those circumstances feel safer in their bodies, regardless of what society says about you know cisnormativity or, or what your body should look like, or if you take these pronouns, then you need to look like this. Um, like I want to take that whole factor out of wellness and embodiment and you know self-love i feel this on so many levels and one of the things that i really tuned into when you were talking um but also in a lot of your youtube videos is this idea that when you start doing this work you get your power back mm. And there's this, like, I, at least this is the impression that I was getting, but there's, there's like a moment when, when you, when asking like, who am I? Or like, am I both feminine? Am I both masculine? What about me is this? What about me is that? Or what about me is grateful? And what about me recognizes need for change? Mm -hmm. um, in seeing it all too and embracing it all, it is also like a certain type of like, power but in like also in naming it and knowing it is very powerful as well can you maybe are do you feel comfortable sharing with people a little bit about like I loved when you were talking in the video about um when you were coming to know the gender that you felt most comfortable as uh and you discovered like 
everything, like hairstyle, (laughs) the way that you sit, like how, how did sort of, um, figuring that out, I feel like that's also a really beautiful spiritual experience. I guess I'm just inviting you to share a little bit more, um, about that. Yeah. Um, well, okay. It started with, um, after college, I came, I came back to San Diego and I started working at this job for LGBTQ youth. And I think by working with, with these youth that felt so comfortable, like changing their names every other week, changing their <laughs> pronouns, like whenever they wanted, like coming in with this hairstyle one day, they had their hair dyed, they had a wig on, like they just felt so comfortable exploring all of the things all of the time. I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. I love this. I'm so inspired by this. And so I was like, well, fuck it. Let me try it too. Um, And it started in college with like, okay, I know that I want to wear a suit to graduation um, and just trying different clothes out, seeing how they felt. And I remember in that experience of trying on like suits, I was like, oof, I am not super happy with the way my body looks in this because of like certain curves, like my hips and things that I, I wish were not this way. And it's not that I don't love my body. I just, you know, I can imagine it looking it looking differently and, and feeling more confident, more happy. Um, and I remember watching like YouTube videos of um, trans guys going through their whole transformation and talking about their experiences and me being like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. I, I'm so touched by this. And I don't really have the words to articulate why this is so, like this is touching me so deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, there was also like trans videos, um, not videos, but films of trans people. Um, And I remember just, again, like being super touched and like crying, just like bawling, like, why is this touching me so deeply? Um, And I think that's when I realized, like, I think I do want to try hormones. Um, And I think in, in accepting that for myself, it was a huge push for me. Um, to kind of break away from what I thought beauty was, what I thought I had to do to be worthy of love. Um, I think, like, I don't want to blame my parents or my environment because I don't think it's just them. I think, you know, this is all part of, like, colonization and, and bigger systemic things that we were kind of taught and forced into. Um, but in kind of just feeling that freedom to explore different things, to to say, like, this is my body, um, I can love it and want it to change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I just started exploring different things. And, and then as I, I started taking hormones, I started realizing like, I don't actually feel like a man. I'm, I wouldn't identify, I wouldn't say that I'm a man. Um, I, I feel like more than that. I feel like I, I didn't exactly like leave the woman that I was. I, I think part of her is still here. Um, there is some him in here too. There is some they in here. Um, and I want to try more things. I want to, I would see myself like looking, I guess, physically more masculine, but expressing more feminine, wearing skirts, wearing dresses, wearing earrings, wearing lipstick, um, just saying like, fuck it to the gender binary. Like (laughs) you do not, you know, you have no impact on how I decide to express myself. Um, like I want to do me and I want to try different things and I don't have all the answers, but I'm not going to get any answers if I just keep putting myself in this box. So I'm going to try different things. And if they don't work, then I know that that's not how I want to express or maybe not in this time. Um, So, yeah, I would say I was very inspired by youth. And 
I think it's just this whole journey of like, I'm going to trust myself to try something new, even though it might be a little uncomfortable because through that whole trying different things, I have gotten to this point where I am like just light years ahead of where I was even like two years ago. Um, and yeah, I, I, I feel like this is a journey that I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. And I hope that other people see the importance or the beauty of really like trying different things. Like maybe you have dressed this way your whole life. Um, and maybe it's very intentional because you know that you love this, but maybe it's just like you have fallen into this familiarity and you haven't tried anything new. And so I would say to those people, like, just try it, see how it feels, you know? I love that. Actually, it kind of makes me a little bit curious um, since you mentioned it, like what are, what are the ways that you see like colonialism and um, we might even say like other oppressive systems, including mm -hmm. whiteness mm -hmm. in, in how like you've approached identity and, and how like it affects, I mean, not just, not just non-binary people, um, not just marginalized communities, but like everyone. Yeah. Um, that's such a huge question. It is. <laughs> Sorry. That's no, okay. Uh, let me try. Okay. Um, well, first, like, I want to say that I'm not an expert on this and I'm very much just like learning what like decolonizing identity means and, and how all of these systems of oppression have impacted my sense of identity and my sense of self and purpose. Um, but what I have realized for myself is that um, being raised Mexican and having sort of like this Catholic cultural context um, made it very difficult for me to even question whether I could be queer or trans or anything other than cishet. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until like coming to this country and seeing I get, I wouldn't say it's just being in this country. Like it's also the passage of time, um, but seeing more examples of just trans visibility, queer visibility. Um, let me, let me pause for a minute. Yeah, I wanna say what I've realized is that like I carry this in my body, this legacy of colonialism, this legacy of white supremacy that um, like this body knows, knows that oppression more than my, my brain can ever articulate. Um, and that I carry both, like being a white Latinx person, I, I carry that whiteness piece as well. I carry the indigeneity um, without any of the lived experience. Um, and what, I, what I'm trying to, I guess, get to in, in this process of decolonizing my identity is getting back to that kind of root source of who I am without, you know, detangling these cultural messages about um, what beauty is, what love is, what connection is, and knowing that like at the very core of my essence, I am, I am connected to source. I am connected to everyone. I am so much more than this physical body, right? Um, I feel like, at least in my understanding of, 
like this context context of Catholicism, Christianity was like the separation of this physical body from like spirituality. Um, and I'm, I'm having this like, seeing this connection to in, in this other like uh, ayahuasca ceremony that I had around uh, this idea of divine feminine um, and how I feel like, uh, man, with like religion, it's like tied into patriarchy. Um, and I feel like Christianity really like pushed and forced this gender binary as part of like, how do I want to say, like colonizers came and, and said that this is the religion and part of that religion was oppression and saying like, we are now kind of more important and our way of thinking about the world, our way of seeing life, our way of seeing life and death is better and your way doesn't work. It doesn't matter. It, it's not real. Um, and kind of shutting down all of that like natural intuition, like every single person has their own connection to the divine. Um, saying no, like you need church to get to that. You need um, like a male priest to, mm -hmm. to find that within yourself. And um, I guess through this whole like gender journey and, and trying to detangle these identities for myself, it has been like everything that I thought was good, like the way that I learned good and bad, the way that I learned morality, all of these things are tied in oppression and uh, it's like, how do I find myself when, when I, I wasn't given the chance to find that connection for myself? I was like blocked off, right? When I was born, right? When I was raised, I, it's, it's going to take a whole multiple Lifetime. lifetimes, generations <laughs> to try to undo that, um, to try to get back to this place where I am connected, you know, I, I don't know. It's so hard to talk about this. I'm, I'm really trying. Um, no, you're. <laughs> oh, I've, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit for how profound what you just shared was. Um, yeah, I if anything, it illustrates really that there there are so many threads that are present um, for all of us. And in terms of like oppression and systems where there's hierarchy, be they in uh, religion or in gender or in, in um, like whiteness or all of that it, race, that was the word I was looking for. Um, but then it also comes down to like the individual has them all too. I mean, society has them, but the individual has them. And I, I think it was really beautiful when you were talking too about um, really stepping in and, and, and saying like, okay, you know, if I've been told that beauty is this for a female and beauty is this for a male, like, where do I want to be there and what feels most authentic to me? And then also, and this was, I think the best part of it, just saying that this is a process for me and trusting that you can just be in the process and you don't have to have it figured out right now in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like um, a part of decolonizing too is, is in this process of healing. Like it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be, um, you know, you have a problem and here's the solution. You're going to fix it. Boom, done. Like that mm -hmm. is not real. 
you know? And I see the connection too between that and like the way that I understood academia or like the pursuit of truth using just like research and data and experiments and fact without using that like intuitive knowing or that like embodied knowing. Um, Because it, I don't know, to me, like you can never get at a, a sort of universal truth when you are just using like a certain researcher's perspective and, and their framework of coming up with questions. Um, to me, like any any kind of universal truth is gonna come more from a body, from a intuitive knowing, you know? Um, and I think if, if you apply that to gender, it makes sense why people would think, well, okay, here's the science, here's the biology, here's the chromosomes. This is why it is this way. We're gonna put this into categories that are neat. And, you know, that way it'll be easier for everyone to understand and we'll call that universal. Um, but in doing that, you're always going to be like ignoring or erasing um, the people who will not fall into those categories. Um, and until you have, a, I guess, a way of, of conducting that research or creating that scientific truth that includes that embodied knowing, that intuitive knowing, from the voices that are not traditionally heard, the voices who don't usually have access to education or, or the resources to conduct that, you know, research on such a wide scale that has such profound impacts on like every human's life. I mean, I don't think there's a human who has not thought about or had to process gender in their life. Um, yeah, like I, I really wanna sh- get away from that sense of knowing, quote unquote knowing, to this more, this is my truth and it might only be my truth, but it's as real as as anything else can be real for me. And it can be my truth for as long as it feels like my truth. And when it stops mm-hmm. feeling like my truth, I will I will seek another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it also uh, touches a little bit on um, toxic capitalism (laughs) in that idea that like you have to have the shortest quickest most well-proven out path to a thing and it like needs to be done and it needs to be done right now in this particular way and I I think unpacking some of that uh, probably is also a factor in it yeah as you're saying that I'm thinking a lot about um the way that like um, this whole trans journey is perceived in the media and um, even in like the medical industry, like, okay, you're trans. Okay. You're female to male. Cool. So this is your dosage of hormones. Um, in a year, you're going to look like this. You're going to start passing as a man. That's really what we want. You're, you know, fitting into that binary um, and you're going to start dressing like a man. You start talking like a man, you know, quote unquote, cause uh, I don't think that really means anything to me anymore, mm-hmm. but I do feel like there was this kind of prescription, like, if you're trans, this is the journey you take. And in a year, this is where you will be. And at that point, you will be almost cis or passable for cis. And that is what the goal of this gender journey is to become that like passable cis person. Um, And I think while a lot of me like kind of wanted that validation, um, as I did start, you know, going through that journey, it became like, more clear and more important for me to understand that it wasn't about that like finish line of like passing as cis because I can see why that was really valuable, especially well still today for like safety reasons, especially for black trans women and femme folks. 
Um, and I have the privilege of not being black, of um, being able to explore this identity and express my femininity without that fear of safety. Um, it just became abundantly clear that for me, at least, it wasn't about passing as cis. It was about feeling more me. Um, and and yeah, I can definitely see that whole toxic capitalism coming up. Like, okay, like I want to be here by this point and I need yeah. to start hitting the gym more so that I pass more. And, um, and now being at a point where like, actually, I don't want to pass. Like, I don't care about that. Um, it's okay if I'm misgendered. Um, actually, I, I have this story of... Um, Samara and I went on this date and I wanted to wear makeup. So we both wore lipstick and um, I was wearing like a, a pretty, I would say like a blouse, a, um, feminine top. And um, when I got to the place, oh, I was wearing high heels too. And people just called me she, like the, the waitress called me she. Um, and I was so mad. I was like, damn, I hate this. I'm being misgendered. Um, and then Samara said something like, well, like, you know, what if you, what if you were a trans woman, you know? Um, because in a lot of contexts I do pass as man and to be misgendered as a woman, I think creates sort of more safety for trans women. Uh -huh. um, and to see it that way, I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like that is so beautiful actually. And, and there's no harm for me here in being misgendered. Um, I actually like that I'm being seen for this like feminine aspect of myself. Um, so I don't know, that that was really like opening that perspective for me. Like, it's not about, I need to be seen this way every time, da, da, da. Like, obviously people are not gonna understand it if they have never thought about gender this way. And to be misgendered for me at this point in time is not like the worst thing in the world. Um, like, I feel so much more confident in it. And I, and I have this perspective of like, I am not the most marginalized trans person out there. I'm actually super privileged in having access to hormones. Um, in not feeling that my my physical safety is ever really threatened. Um, so I just wanted to share that as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think that too, I am not sure if people are even aware of how much um, like gender identity and colonialism <laughs> And just the, all of the systems that are at work when they're even just f faced with like how they're feeling personally about themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was interesting listening to your story, hearing you talk about like, this is how I see myself. This is how people saw me. This is how I reacted to how people saw mm -hmm. me. <laughs> this is how it was reframed for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and this is my conclusion. And I think that like having the ability to see the whole situation from like all of that is actually kind of like freeing and beautiful in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. Right? And I can see that too for a lot of trans people who do get like, who get to the point where they're like, this is the way I want to be seen. Um, I'm going to present this way. And then, you know, society looks at them and they're like, well, we don't see that. And there's this like shock of like anxiety and depression and like, mm -hmm oh no, I'm not seen, I'm not validated. And I feel that, I feel that deeply. Um, but I think, I don't know, like I really hope that people can get to a place where it's like, I know who I am, I know how I present. And there are these people in my life who absolutely see me, who validate that. And I, it's hard to expect every single human in the world to understand and to see that. Um, 
And I think for me, just having like, these are my people, these people get it. For me, like, that is my safety. Um, and with that safety, I feel comfortable going out into the world, expressing however I want, um, regardless of how I'm seen. Um, and having that, like, I don't know, wider perspective. So I, I really hope that for other trans people, they can get to that point where they feel confident going out in the world, how they want to go out, even if they're not, you know, perceived exactly how they want. Um, if people accidentally use the wrong pronouns, um, because yeah, this is a much happier, more liberated way of being instead of always being worried. Like I can't wear this because then people are going to think this and da da da. Like people are always going to think stuff, you know? Um, and I'd rather just wear what, whatever I want, you know, even if, if people use the wrong pronouns and I hope other people get to that point as well. That's incredible. So do you work with people? I am, I, I see with breath work and meditation, are you also doing like journaling with them, self-reflection, self-love kind of meditations? What's the process like? Yeah, I think uh, I would say like a lot of it is more journaling. Um, like I really focus more on journaling and, and breathwork and meditation are sort of like for helping someone like settle into that truth that they have just uncovered through the journaling. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have this decolonizing gender workshop where I would say like the majority of the workshop is like this series of questions that ask people to look at themselves and what the gender binary has meant for their lives. And, um, you know, look at the way that they dress, look at the way that they have pursued like romantic relationships, um, the way that they understand their sexual orientation, um, to push them further than just like, I'm straight. Like, okay, you're straight, but does that mean, like, if you're a woman who identifies as straight, um, would you say you're attracted to trans men? What about, like, non-binary people who are assigned male at birth? What about, um, you know, there's just, like, this whole spectrum of gender, and I, I really want people to think about it a little bit more than just man and woman, and this is who I am. Um, and I asked them, too, about, like, their relationship to their body, mm -hmm. um, you know, do they feel safe in their body to, is there a certain shame that comes with, you know, certain parts of your body that you feel would be better if they were different in this way? Um, and again, holding that like duality, like I can absolutely love who I am. I can love my body and I can want these changes. Um, but are these changes because like society has told me that this would be better for someone with my body type? Or are they because like, this is genuinely like, what would make me more happy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's the bulk of, of the work that I want to do both in that, like that's an, uh, an online workshop that people can just get. It's pre-recorded, but in the live workshops I do, mm -hmm. um, I focus on that a lot as well. Like those personal questions of what has gender meant in your life. Um, and then once you get to a, a place where you have understood some truths about, you know, what, what gender has meant for you, how you have acted based on what you were, were taught about gender, then um, how can I use like breath work and meditation to, to help you heal that? To, you know, once you have uncovered that wound, how can I help you heal it? That's so important. I think as you were talking, I was thinking a lot about like, um, well, specifically for, for women, but also are those identifying as women, but also for men, 
um, one of the intersections of colonialism and capitalism and the body and power in the body is diet culture. Mm-hmm. And I like, I think a lot about that in terms of like identity. I'm probably not alone in the fact that my body has changed over the course of COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, just thinking about like how self-worth has been influenced or affected by what we believe is appropriate or not appropriate or desirable or not desirable about a Mm -hmm. female body. Um, It's so complicated. Mm -hmm. And then it even touches on like, who's allowed to be, who's allowed to occupy space. Yeah. And how much, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how much space you're allowed to occupy. And so like identity and, and, um, looking into like so what is what is mine here what is not mine here and um I love that you said I I can love this and still want it to change Mm -hmm. uh is really a beautiful concept yeah yeah and I'll say in my youth too like I struggled a lot with um body image um in high school I was I would say like anorexic I I had like very strict um like calorie goals each day and I was running like five miles a day and it was all from a place of like I don't know who I am I don't know what would make me feel beautiful but this is what I see in the world that people have labeled beautiful and so Mm -hmm. how can I get my body to be closer to that because I feel like that's what's going to get me love that's what's going to get me acceptance um And I don't know how to make that for myself at this point in time. So this is all I can do. You know, this is my way of quote unquote, loving myself and trying to get that love, you know? Um, And I, and I see that in, in like body image and also in like, uh, like this caretaking role. And I don't know if that was just like my understanding of what it meant to be a woman. uh, But like this emotional labor piece, like you are here to help people. You are here to be of service in a way that I don't Mm. think, boys were raised at least not the way that I saw um like you know you you are so grateful for being alive and you have to kind of pay back that gratitude by helping other people by having children by taking care of your husband or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like oh god that sounds terrible (laughs) um (laughs) no thank you (laughs) I feel the same way about those roles (laughs) but yeah I mean I think just being a woman, being raised as a, as a girl is really hard. And especially if you add on, like, you know, if you're a black girl, if you're a Muslim girl, if you're mm-hmm. an immigrant, like add on all of these identities. And it's like, how, how do you find yourself? How, how do you get out of that position of service, that position of making everyone else, everyone else around you feel more comfortable um, to this place of like, I don't care. I'm going to care more about my feelings. You know, I get to prioritize myself because I don't think I, I had that sense that I I could have that freedom to care about myself more than I cared about my parents or my family or my friends or my partner. Like, I really didn't think that was possible for me. I didn't see that in the world. Um, and yeah, it, I guess it took like expanding my perspective, meeting other people, going to places where I felt uncomfortable, seeing those examples to be like, wait a minute, I don't think I actually have to be like this. I actually don't think this is who I am, you know? 
I, I do think I am compassionate and kind, um, but I think that I was definitely performing that role for a lot of my life because I thought that's what I had to do. And now that I'm, you know, being of service in this way, it feels so much more genuine and like rewarding. I'm just taking a second to feel through everything you just said, which was also such a massive revelation. And I think something that a lot of people can relate to in that as well. Like how have, how have you been conditioned uh, to abandon yourself mm-hmm. by, by colonialism or mm-hmm. by racism or by sexism or yeah. in in when you help people, so you're saying when you help people sort of like untangle themselves for that, you're giving them like a pathway back to your themselves and you're, you're like sort of reaching them at that point where they've begun to realize like, okay, I don't have power here, <laughs> but what I actually need is to claim my power here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the hardest part is like realizing that oftentimes there are all of these aspects of yourself that you are performing um, or that maybe you did all of these things that you thought were for this purpose. And then you get to this point where you realize like that wasn't you. And it's like, what do you do now with these years that you have spent like creating this, whether it's like going to school for a degree or like a relationship that you were in, like you put in work, like real work, real time, your life was spent on this. And how do you get to now this realization of like, maybe that isn't what's best for me at this point. And how can I abandon that without feeling like I wasted the last five years of my life or, you know, however long it was um, to do something completely different. I think that's terrifying. That's like so scary to just like jump ship and try something different. Um, But I think there's so much like beauty and healing and transformation that can come from that change from accepting that like you don't have to continue this path because I guess in in that line of thinking what you're saying is like well I already put in all this work in so might as well keep going but it's like you're not happy at that point um and so who are you really doing it for it's really more for that like past version of yourself um and I think cultivating like a genuine sense of self-love it kind of at least for me has provided the confidence to be like I don't need that. For me, it was with school. Um, I was in a graduate program doing a master's in school counseling, thinking that I could, you know, channel all of this stuff that I learned about the educational system and help students kind of find their own path. And then I got to this point where I was like, I hate school. School is so bad for me. I have all this trauma around it because I thought that I had to be a good student to be worthy of love, to be worthy of being in this country. Um, And so like, no, I don't want to be here, even though I spent so many years pushing myself to be this good student, this like stellar student. Um, I don't want that identity anymore. That is really harmful for me. And if that means that I'm completely starting over, you know, this completely new career path, I'm not making money. I am learning these new things. And I feel again, that sense of imposter syndrome because this is so new to me. Um, Like I would rather sit in this discomfort in this like unfamiliarity 
um, because I know that whatever will come out of it will be more genuine, more um, like a better match to who I actually am and how I can actually help people in a way that is rewarding for me and not just draining for me. There's also the seed of discovery in this discomfort that isn't necessarily as present in, in trying to, you know, continue whatever it is that you think that you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is so compelling. Oh, so I guess I'm wanting to kind of, uh, ask a few more questions. (laughs) Um, and you've covered so many of the ones that I had sent you beforehand already. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, if you could kind of like boil it down actually from this place that you just stated. So the, I guess, um, you were in academia and then you've, you've moved back to the West coast and you started a business and a podcast. Um, so it's kind of like two questions. I'm going to put them together in, in doing what you're doing now in, in asking that like bigger question, like how can I be of service in the world? Like, what do you feel like it is that's sort of like your biggest gift or the the big sort of thing that you're centering like your work around now. And then also like how does spirituality like play into that and play into your everyday life? Okay. Um, I think I want to start with the second question and then work my way back to the first. I like it. <laughs> um, so for spirituality, um, I think that a lot of my practice has involved like altar work and really trying to connect more with my ancestors and my spirit guides. Um, And I had this um, session with a, um, I think she calls herself a bruja or they call themselves a bruja, um, Caitlin. And they, they, they kind of introduced me to my spirit guides and it was actually a reintroduction because I didn't know this, but when I was a like really young kid, like a toddler, I had an imaginary friend who turns out to be one of my spirit guides and I called them Moon. And when Caitlin was describing Moon to me, they're like, uh, you know, this spirit guide doesn't really, um, you know, abide to the gender binary. They're, you know, kind of genderqueer, um, more on the femme side. And I was like, that's fucking amazing. Okay, first of all, I didn't know that. Um, spirit guides could be trans or genderqueer and I think that's so beautiful that I get to have this connection spiritually with some being who is here to help me who is also not cis Um, and I think um, after that session uh, they, they really asked me to keep connecting with these spirit guides and my ancestors through like altar work every night so like lighting a candle and praying um And it's funny because within that, like when I first started praying, I started going back to the like Catholic prayers that I learned when I was a kid. Uh Um, And then later on, I was like, maybe this doesn't make sense anymore. And maybe I should just (laughs) kind of come up with my own thing. Um, And I think once I started like just talking to them, like very genuinely, like this is what I want. Thank you so much for where I am now. Just like a more casual conversation. I feel like it started getting easier to kind of connect with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like through that connection, not only with them, but also my my grandma who who passed away when I was four, who I saw in the first ayahuasca trip. Um, I feel like she has really been helping me a lot in 
accepting um, myself as trans and in like understanding why as a kid, it was not easy for me to do that, why I genuinely was not safe. Um, I feel like she really helped explain kind of why my mother has so much trouble accepting me as I am um, and giving more of that context so that it would be easier for me to find that self-love despite this like tension with, with my mom. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that's my spiritual practice. And, and I have incorporated um, breath work as well. Um, I really, I really value two part breath that has helped me so, so, so much in like, in one, like releasing a lot of the pain that I have felt around these gender wounds and like learning to love that, you know, inner child who did not have that safety to, to be themselves, be their queer trans self. Um, but also in like being able to envision what a life could look like where the gender binary just never existed. Um, mm. Like to have, like I've, in those two part breaths, I have visions of a world where the gender binary ceases to exist. And I think with, with that in mind, like being able to see it, being, having it be so tangible to me um, it really drives my work. It really like pushes me to be, to create that for people. Um, and that, whether that's like writing emails that, um, you know, share my story and, and share that vision or these workshops or, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with individuals on, on how you can start, you know, breaking that binary down in your own life. Um, I really think that, I guess my gift is in, in having this connection with my spirit guides and my ancestors in being able to like see then fathom a world where, where patriarchy is done, where, um, yes. you know, there is no more transphobia. There is no more yes. homophobia. <laughs> um, people can just be themselves. We, like babies are, are not, there's no gender reveal parties, right? Babies are just, you get to choose who you are. You get to choose what clothes you wear. You get to choose your name and your pronouns. Like each individual has, so much more power over their bodies, over their expression, over everything. I mean, I feel like gender is even tied to like career and um, relationship and um, parenthood. Um, so it's, yeah, I think my gift is in, in being able to see what, what things could look like beyond that system. I want that so bad. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think there's a lot of people out there doing this work and that's really motivating for me. Yeah. It is so potent to be checking in with that and, and actively dreaming it and allowing it to be like present in your vision, like with your body too. That's mm -hmm. um, also beautiful. Also, I love talking about guides, but we're not going to go on that tangent right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guides and ancestors and altars, like all the good stuff. Um, <laughs> so I am curious what advice you would give someone who is just beginning to uncover or to start um, asking questions about like their identity and, and who they are and how they can start separating themselves from systems of oppression. I guess, um, like, if you're at that point where you want to start questioning things, like, thank you. And and that's not a thank you from me to you. I think it's, like, also a thank you from 
that genuine, authentic soul you to, you know, the you that you have raised, been raised to be. Um, I, I think the advice I would give is, like, this is a, a lifelong journey and this is something that you're starting that is going to be helping you um, throughout your life and and the skills that you cultivate, like the emotional resiliency that you cultivate in this journey of, of trying to detangle who you authentically are from who you were culturally taught to be. That I think those are the skills, that resiliency is what's going to carry you, what's going to heal you, what's going to um, really push you to to find this better way of living this happier more fulfilled um version of you and you know it's it's not about reaching a certain goal you know it's it's about being more comfortable in your body being more comfortable with all aspects of yourself even those that you were taught to be shameful of or to feel guilty of um, it's like you get to be as you are. You get to take up space. You get to feel like an infinite amount of love for yourself um, despite the mistakes you've made, despite, you know, how you have hurt others or how you have hurt yourself. Um, and it isn't until you get to that place that you will really be able to, well, I don't want to say that because I think at any point you can um, provide love for others and provide love for yourself. But I think as as you start this journey, like it might seem like your whole world is shifting. Like you don't recognize yourself. You don't recognize um, the relationships that you have maybe had for your whole life. Like everything will start to feel different. Um, and while that might feel really scary, it's also really beautiful. Like it's also an opportunity to to be so much happier, to be so much more liberated, to not have to, um, yeah, like push yourself to meet certain things in order to feel worthy of love or of acceptance. Like you get to start learning how to cultivate that for yourself so that you never need anyone to give that to you. Um, and it has ripple effects in your whole life. Like you, you can start seeing the the changes in like, your purpose in life, um, the way that you spend your time, the way that you have relationships with others. I think for me, they have become so much more intentional and the people who are not meant to be in my life, like are no longer in my life. And that frees up space and time to have more genuine relationships with a more authentic me. Um, and it's, it's not an easy journey, you know, it's, and it's not always fun, but I think it's definitely, definitely worth it. It's amazing <laughs> and and great advice. Um, yeah. Well, and now that everyone has heard that <laughs> and really felt into that, and let's say they're on their path and they want some guidance from you, where can they find you? What sort of guidance are you offering? Tell us all about it. Yeah. So. Um, if you want to work with me, you can find me on my website is mixmendoza.com. So that's M-X-Mendoza, M-E-N-D-O-Z-A.com. Um, or you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at mx.mendoza underscore. Um, 
And I would love to work with people, whether it's on a one-on-one capacity, just having like a session to talk about, you know, the way that um, you have been struggling with gender in your life or um, ways that you feel that you've been inauthentic. Or if you just want some journaling prompts, you're like, okay, I'm starting to realize that, you know, maybe I have been kind of fitting in or performing this for a while. And I just want to know more. I just want to start, you know, asking myself questions. Um, I can provide uh, journaling prompts. Um, I can provide breath work and meditation. Um, And I also provide workshops. So if you either have your own business or you're working for a nonprofit or any community organization, anything like that, I also provide workshops um, just teaching folks around gender diversity um, and, and pronouns and things like that so that it is a safer workspace for trans folks um and i mean like as employee as employees and as clients so if if it's a workspace where you are noticing that you are having you know trans clients coming in and maybe they they don't feel as safe or um you know that the environment isn't as inclusive as it could be that is what the workshops are are intended for so those are, I guess those are the two things I'm offering now, those individual one-on-one sessions, as long as the group, uh, as well as the, the group workshops. And then you also have a podcast, right? Yes, the podcast. So we have a, a podcast I'm doing with my partner, Samara, um, and that is called Intuitive Wellness. So that podcast is all around um, kind of sharing our, our journeys through um healing ourselves and this this focus on how healing ourselves is a form of activism um and you were on our podcast and I think that was an amazing episode that we had and we have had a lot of positive feedback (laughs) so thank you so much for that of course well thank you thank you thank you thank you for coming on the sacred adventure begin podcast and sharing about your story and your work and your philosophy definitely thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed this conversation Ditto. Well, listeners, you can find all of Lolly's links in the show notes, and we will see you again soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Adventure Begin. If you feel inspired by the conversations you were part of today, please consider joining us on patreon.com backslash getting into it with Emily and supporting the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. Membership and support starts at $2 a month and gives you access to teachings, episodes before they are released, and a platform to submit your questions for our guests. Thank you so much for being here. Know that I am sending you so much love, so much awareness, and so much self-acceptance at whatever stage in your journey you find yourself on today.